Welcome back to the Interlude Podcast, where I share the journeys and experiences of women who are living with cancer. Today, my guest is Marquina Ilyev Paselli. Marquina was diagnosed with stage 2 breast cancer at the age of 36, and she is now a breast cancer survivor. During chemotherapy, she used her hobby of air guitar to create this really cool project called Glam Rock Air Guitar while she was getting chemotherapy to help lift her spirits as well as those around her. Since that time, she has created a website called sharetriumph.com to celebrate the small things that bring women on their path back to joy. And she is hosting the upcoming Share Triumph virtual conference next month. She's also curated an essay collection called Tough Women Who Survived Cancer that will be out in September. I'll be posting links to both of those in the show notes as well as some other really cool things that we discussed today. She is amazing and just such a wonderful advocate for women. As a reminder, the conversations had on this podcast are not meant to be used as medical advice and any specific medical questions should be directed to your healthcare team. And with that, let's welcome Marquina. Thank you for joining me. Yes, I'm Marquina Ilya Paselli. I'm the creator of the book Tough, Women Who Survived Cancer, and I'm a breast cancer survivor. I was triple, it was triple positive breast cancer, and I was diagnosed in 2015. I've been in remission about three years, and to get through my own treatment, I pulled on a, uh, a hobby that I have uh, that I've been doing for a long time. Now it's 10 years. I've been a competitive air guitarist, and I use some of the tools that I learned in competitive air guitar, like creating characters and and just having fun and create, like making a new space. And I brought those characters to my chemotherapy sessions and did um, what I call glam rock chemo. And I, I, I made my treatment as, <laughs> as tolerable as possible by trying to reinvent and recreate the space around me. And then based on that experience, I looked for other women like me that found a way to get through treatment or, you know, it, not, of course, air guitar, but people quilted, some do running, some start writing, other people do charcoal drawings. And, and uh, I just thought that there's, there's so many different ways to get through treatment. And I wanted to explore some of those and also hear a bunch of other survivor stories as well. So, so that's what I've been doing <laughs> since I was diagnosed. It's been really fun to, to listen to stories, much like you're doing here with this awesome project. Yeah, it's been it's been really fun. I I there's so many questions I want to ask you um in just from what you just said, but first, okay, tell us about air guitar. Tell I don't know much about it and how did what is glam rock? Like what did you do? So air guitar is air guitar in and of itself is exactly what you think it is. So air guitar is just pretend gar, guitar playing. Okay. But competitive air guitar is different. So competitive air guitar there's actually an organization, uh there's usairguitar.com. You can go check it out. And for quite a long time, over, over 12 years now, I believe, there have been uh, competitions in many major cities throughout the U.S. and also throughout the world. This, it's a, there's an international competition in August every year, the World Championship of Air Guitar. But in the United States, it's a, a group of people that, you know, we try not to take ourselves too seriously. We get together, we dress up in silly costumes, and we uh, rock out to a 60-second track. So, and there's judges. The judges can be comedians, they can be rock stars, it can be uh, people in the community, um, people that work at metal publications or something, and they judge you on three criteria. So you're judged on stage presence, technical right. merit. Well, stage presence is like 
your character and your clothes and do you look like a rock star or, or is your character, if it's maybe it's a goofy dorky character, is it conveyed in that way? And then uh, technical merit, which is uh, even though you don't have an air guitar, you still need to have the high notes close to your body where they would be on an, a real guitar, their guitar. And then the low notes are farther away. And then airness is the third uh, judging criteria. And airness is that je ne sais quoi, that, that thing that makes what you're doing on stage transcend beyond miming and into a really entertaining performance. So competitive air guitar is, 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 <laughs> is really funny. And so people... Um, all across the country and the, and the nation and the world actually come together usually during the summers, the air guitar season. How did you do it like during chemo? Were you guys just literally jamming out in the infusion suite? So I didn't at first. So I'll back up there because it sounds like I just like loved my chemo sessions. But what it really was is at first I was, I went to my first chemo and didn't do anything. And it, it's, they're very long, as you know, mm-hmm. six to eight hours. And I was quite bored. So I thought I really need to rethink what I can do in this space. And I was like, well, when do I do that? So, I mean, I, I have some costumes at home. Maybe I can get a few more. Maybe I can bring some characters with me here and, and like try to dress up. And so um, that worked out really well. And I got a photographer and a, and a makeup artist, my, my wedding photographer, it was a, a buddy and a makeup artist that was a friend and they donated their time. And so what happened was I didn't actually think I was going to necessarily air guitar. I was just, I thought at first maybe I would just pose because maybe I'd be tired. I really had no idea. Mm-hmm. Um, but as the at the beginning they started out kind of demure and I'm just sitting and, and that was that but it got kind of long and I was just thinking maybe I could do something else and so at some point I um I did air guitar I did stand on the chair a little bit I mean you're in a little there, nobody could really see around uh so I did you know start to be a little goofy because like I was with two of my friends so it was really fun and at certain points like for some chemotherapies different friends would come and they would dress up too like my brother came and we dressed up in old childhood photos, for example. So that we didn't necessarily air guitar in that one, but it was, it was the spirit of reimagining that I was doing at chemo, at chemotherapy each time. And, and there are some silly photos of me air guitaring that, you know, I did jump once or two or twice. That's you know? awesome. But I like that, right? Like you with cancer, you feel like you don't have any control. So this is one great way to just kind of reimagine the situation that you're in. The makeup artist in particular, she would do put makeup on other women in the if they wanted that were nearby me. If, oh, that's cool. We would interact a little bit, and it was a way to just not dwell on everything that was sad around us, and and bring some happiness to other people that were also there. And how old were you when you were diagnosed? I was thirty six at diagnosis, and I'm I'm thirty nine now. When can you talk a little bit about how you were diagnosed? Because that's not an age where people are typically going for mammograms, and then also kind of how you were living life as a thirty something year old woman and going through treatment. At that time, we were trying to have a second child. So my son, uh, who is now six, almost seven, he was three, three and a half at the time. Mm-hmm. We'd been trying for over a year to have a second child. And I found the lump in the shower, as it does happen, because I'd never had a mammogram before. Mm-hmm. And it just felt different. It was on the right side and kind of low. And, and it actually grew and changed really quickly. And so over the course of a month, as I was trying to think, well, should I do something? I, I would ask my husband, I think, I think it's bigger. Is this in my head? Am I ma- imagining it bigger? But it really had changed. So I did end up going, I didn't even have a primary care doctor. I went to a, the OB that the obstetrician that was, uh, I was going to for, you know, pregnancy, mm-hmm. trying to figure that type of stuff out. And that was the doctor that ended up ordering the, the biopsy and, and finding out that 
I mean, having that call, man, I was just standing like the room away in the kitchen over here. And it was, it was devastating because I just didn't, I just couldn't believe it. And even when he said malignant, the, the call was very short actually, because he didn't mm-hmm. have staging or any, I was kind of like, that, that, that doesn't, that means that's the cancer one. What? No. So I did, I just kind of went into a state of shock at first and disbelief and kind of had to figure out what to do. Uh, you know, I, he said, you know, call, you really need to call your surgeon. And I was like, I, I, I don't have a surgeon. <laughs> I don't even know. What do you mean? Yeah. And it, it took a while to, to really, for it to sink in. Do you have any advice for people who are getting that phone call, you know, every day, unfortunately, like what helped you to hang up the phone and move to the next step? It's hard to give advice because you don't know how you'll react in that, in that moment. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I did write down what he said and I did immediately, even though I think it was late when I got the call, I immediately tried to make an appointment and just taking that step of knowing I, I'd asked the doctor, you know, I don't know a surgeon. So could you recommend one? Um, do you know if there's one that has after hours or something that someone I could call right now, I just tried to, to do, to take any step. And then, um, when my husband had come home from work a little bit later that night, we, um, we talked it through and, 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 and you know, I, I think, I, I really do remember being paralyzed by fear a little bit. And I think I even just was like standing in the kitchen and, and um, I was actually holding my son. I pulled him out of the bathtub because <laughs> he was in a bath when I actually got the call and, um, and thinking, I think I said out loud, step forward, talk, walk forward. What's the next step? What do I do now? Like, don't just stare at the wall, you know, just, you know, make a plan. And so you have to, so the, I went into some an action mode. I didn't go into, um, well, I went into shock as well, but just kind of disbelief in, in that. I think just try to find that next step and, 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 and then talk to someone about taking it. And so you ultimately made it to see a surgeon. How, what was the treatment? And we can talk briefly about that because there's so many other stuff that, so many other things that I want to get to. Yeah, I mean, pretty briefly, the, the surgeon that I first went to didn't have a very good bedside manner. And so I didn't end up going to that same hospital. So I don't want to necessarily say, and um, I basically left the place saying, thinking I needed a second opinion because, you know, I, he didn't explain to me very well. And even my husband was still confused. And um, so we ended up switching hospitals. And, okay. and, and in that time in between, before we found a better hospital, I had known one other person that was about my age who had had breast cancer and I called her and she had helped ease some of my fears about what would happen depending on a couple of things related to the treatment. And then I found out that another friend of a friend actually was a breast surgeon at um, Wild Cornell in New York. And and then I went there and she actually, I still like, I remember sitting down with her and being and asking just very frankly, like, what am I up against? What is this? And she drew a picture. She drew like two breasts and where it is and, told me where my tumor was. And I said, but why can't we just cut it out? Why do you think chemotherapy? Why do you think? And so she explained all of that uh, for me. So, I mean, as briefly as possible, she basically said, we think you're stage one, but let me check you. And then she, she did an exam and actually in that first day, she found that there was a lymph node that was swollen and I went and it found out and that same day got a biopsy and uh, um, I got a call a couple days later that found out I was stage two that it had actually already spread. So instead of her recommending surgery right away, everything changed uh, by the following Monday. And I was going to go and have chemotherapy to shrink it first. Mm-hmm. And um, being triple positive, it was, it was going to be Herceptin. At the time, there was Progetta and Taxotere were the ones that were going to happen, that were happening first. Mm-hmm. What was chemo like with this toddler at home being young? 
So I decided to have a head shaving party and my, my son being three and a half and only knowing me with hair, I, he, he, he brushed my hair on the day before I left for my hair shaving party. And mm-hmm. he, you know, I, I explained to him as best I could. I had been gifted some books about how to talk to your uh, child about cancer. The thing is with the books, though they were really well-intentioned and quite good in content, all the women in them weren't my age and they all had head scarves on and were basically lying down on couches. And yeah. I, um, that really wasn't my experience until the end of treatment, even though like I had bone pain or other things, I was still very active and went to work as best as much as I could, um, unless I had a huge headache or something like so as we know therapy goes in waves and so you'd have better days and not so for the most part I was trying to keep a normal schedule and just taking like rests when I needed so and um I would explain to Lorenzo what was happening uh in very simple mommy's sick you know I can't do all the same things sometimes I won't be able to pick you up kind of terms Mm -hmm. and when you were done with chemotherapy and went for surgery what was the recovery like when you were kind of quote done with treatment or done with active treatment? Cause I find that sometimes the recovery is harder both emotionally and even physically after you're done. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, so I had had a, a deep flap, the IEP, which uh, I'm many of people who have had breast cancer might know, but others that have not heard of it might not is uh, and it. They remove stomach fat to make a breast. And I had a single mastectomy and, uh, after that surgery, I was definitely, uh, it was so much harder. It was almost a 12 hour surgery and it was much more difficult than I realized, even in the sense that I, I had left the hospital at a decent time, but I, m- maybe I should have stayed longer because I didn't recover well that well at home. Meaning I had the chills and the shakes a lot. I couldn't go up and down stairs and I would feel, oh, it was scary at times because I would feel, I would feel okay if I was still but then if I ate too much or like too many bites, I'd start like convulsing and shaking. It was just a very weird, very weird symptoms to me. And then there was pain and it was just, it was, it was more intense than I, than I thought. And, uh, and I'm, and I, that's also because I never had a surgery before or I'd never really experienced long-term pain. It's gotten better, definitely. But I still, you know, there's cording issues and things of that sort. And for part of it, you recover in certain ways in a medical sense to a point where you're, you know, quote unquote fine. But the thing is, I still wanted a range of motion with my arms so I could do yoga. So, so those were the things where medically I'm, I'm considered fine, but I don't feel like myself. And actually I went to a, a cancer camp called Project Koru that is for young adults. It's a surf camp in, in Maui. They also, it's an adventure camp. There's also camps that are hiking and other things, but I didn't, understand the connection to my body and going to that camp and kind of stepping out of my mom role and work role and wife role for a while and being in a place and meeting a lot of people like me uh, really helped me learn to rediscover myself and trust my body again. Um, Because I, like I said, I was, I was trying to have a second child. I was probably the healthiest I'd ever been in my life. I wasn't drinking. I only ate organic food. I barely ate meat. I have never smoked in my life. And, and then this thing happens, cancer. And then I really had a hard time trusting what I thought was a healthy body again. Being able to be physically active in a new environment in that surf camp was was really great. And then also being around other people that were in the same place as me when we're all a little bit, uh, I mean, we've all gone through something. It just helps to share, like much like what you're doing with this podcast here. I mean, I, I think that those experiences are just tremendous and they allow you to really reconnect with yourself. 
do you have any things that you did, you know, whether it be at that camp or just in general that, you know, that are helpful tips for other women to try to incorporate into their lives as they recover from cancer? Oh, absolutely. Reaching out and finding the right expression of yourself and how, and finding people like you, there's so many resources out there. Um, for example, there's a, there's a nonprofit called ABCD Mentor after breast breast cancer diagnosis and they match you up one-to-one with someone else who has had your diagnosis but is a few years out or actually okay. not only your diagnosis but actually a similar life situation if you had kids or worked or not worked in so that was good also I've, I've done a um a fly fishing retreat just to find and and not everything was perfect you know it, so sometimes it takes a few different tries don't try one thing and just because it didn't work think that none of them are for you I also did um things and volunteered for YSC for a while um and it's just, I know, I know there's a lot of, uh, some individuals just want to get through cancer, forget about it and move on. And I think finding at least one person that you can talk to about it and then maybe one group and try, I think, I think it's better. Well, I don't know if I want to say better, but I think it's really helpful to talk about it and find people that have gone through something similar. Absolutely. And you had mentioned that you had created a website, Share Triumph. Mm-hmm. Yes. So. What is that? Sure. So, <laughs> so I wanted to create a place where the t- small triumphs, our, our steps on our path back to joy could be expressed. And it came out of, you know, a lot of times when I was in a Facebook group, which I, I do love and find very helpful, that sometimes they were the bad days. So I made a site that was all about the good days. <laughs> so, I love that. So, so and, and a lot of these, the stories, I mean, they're Instagram posts and they're short and they're just a, a minute long uh, story are uh, people that are in the book, the mm-hmm. cancer book, but also people that I've talked with at camps because I also went back to Project Poro and I am a leader there every, not almost once a year, but not quite. And so, um, and I'm, I'm friends with these people. And so when I see that they're doing something great or they just had a successful, a successful surgery or they just got a puppy or you know, like they, um, they had a baby and they didn't think they could get pregnant again. Um, you know, I, I have a, a site to, to celebrate that. <laughs> so, well, so that's she- so great because we don't celebrate all those little things and that's so wonderful. <laughs> Thanks for asking. I love it. <laughs> And how do you find people to contribute to the site? So at this, at this point, I'm on, so they're not only breast cancer uh, survivors, thrivers, or metastatic. They're mm-hmm. all different types of cancer. And I'm a member of a lot of different online communities. So what will happen is I actually will find people in my feed and I will ask them if I could share that. So it's not actually hard to find stories because I'll, I'll see someone and be like, that's awesome. Would, could I, could I share that over here? Would you mind? And sometimes I'll have them fill out a, a quick form and maybe send a picture or, um, if they don't want to send a picture, that's fine. And I ask if I can share their location. And, um, so it's, it's actually kind of great to, to be looking for the good and, and asking if I can reflect that back and let everyone know. So I love it again. <laughs> Well, I, I think, and that's the whole point of telling stories, right? So for women and men to have a place where they can go to just listen and share their story if they want to or not. Absolutely. So let's talk a little bit about, you mentioned that you were trying to get pregnant. You know, how did that change? What happened with that? I, I have to say just personally, I have not been able to, I've talked this over with my husband, but I I'd also had a several, two miscarriages and I 
we have chosen not to expand our family. And that's partially in a emotional choice on my part because I'm having a hard time. I've had a hard time. Now I'm almost 40. I, I couldn't go back to that place where I'd been so disappointed, so disappointed. And then I actually was kind of asking for a sign of what I should do and then got cancer. And I know that it, it is possible, but it's mm-hmm. been hard for me to um, go back there emotionally. And I've just decided that our family is good the way that it is. And I mean, um, and I'm happy. So, uh, so that's, that's where, where it stands with that. And um, I have to say through all the interviews I've done, it's been really great when other, other women who have made different choices have, have expressed to me how, how joyous it is. They went and they tried other ways and, and they've, they've become pregnant. And it's just been, um, it's, it's great to hear that. Um, it's just not, I just haven't been able to go back there emotionally. And I have to say the interview project that I did has really been, uh, I, I have, I do have a therapist and go to therapy, but it's a different type of therapy for me. So I'm not sure if this is true for you. Um, but as you interview people and you learn and, and share these things, it's really a balm to my soul. So I, it has been so rewarding to hear the stories of other people and um, just uplifting. And then it's really been my part of my journey has been just trying to give back in that way. Well, I think that's kind of how I feel. So, you know, I come from it from a slightly different perspective as an oncologist. And I mean, I just wrote an article about this, but doctors are burnt out. There's just too many things to do, right? Like the day is just nonstop and you have 15 minutes with the patient and you don't have this hour time to really sit and hear their story and hear what they're going through. So this has given me just some, I mean, this incredible perspective to kind of listen to people and really just listen and say, Hey, what was your story? Like, what did you learn from it? And what are you still learning from it? And as a result, I mean, there's so many things that I now do differently that I I can really just tribute just to the podcast. Wow. That's fantastic. So it's been, it's fun for me. It's my little passion project, but I am, I'm definitely loving it. Tell me about the book. I'm fascinated by this. Sure. So Tough Women Who Survive Cancer is um, a collection of, actually, I started it because like I said, I wanted to, I wanted to hear more stories and I've been a leader at this Project Coro and I'd heard a lot of them and I thought, well, I should interview them. So I, I work with books for a living. I, I do book marketing. Okay. thought that if I, and I love stories and I love storytelling. So I thought if I interviewed people, I was essentially giving them the start of their memoir. I was like, this is great. This is a gift. I will do this service. I will get to feel wonderful to, to like be there to witness the story of these women. And, and then I can give this to them and they could write their own book. That sounds great. It tur- as it turned out, as I did maybe 12 of them or so, um, the, I was like, well, what are you going to do anything with it? Or what do you think? And they're like, oh, I don't know. I don't know if I have time. And I was like, well, maybe I could do something with it. Or they were like, yeah, I think this is, you. Could, if, I wouldn't mind it being put in a book. And I was like, all right. So so I, w- I talked to a few more people and it turned out that it was, that, that sounded great to them. And so and the book kept expanding. It got really like, so, so, um, and then, it, uh, so what happens in the, for the book is it, again, it's not just breast cancer. It's, it's several different types of cancer, not all because I couldn't find absolutely every type. And I really would try, I would ask in different Facebook groups. Uh, I would ask, ask to be a member to let them know why I was there and say I was looking for um, story submissions, or I was looking to interview. For some of the nonprofits that I had worked with, I reached out to them and I said, do you know someone who has a story that they might want to share in a book? And this is after it had changed into, I talked to a couple of people and they were saying, yeah, a book would be great. And so the stories are, they, they complement each other, but they also in some ways uh, 
there are people that have chosen different things. And I think that that's really important to showcase how, how, how different people have make different choices based on maybe similar, maybe not type circumstances. And Mm -hmm. all of the stories in the book, women are 45 and under. And so they're going through the same period of life where, you know, we're going through career changes, uh, maybe choices around dating and children. And it's just quite a, a big step in terms of what we're doing next in our life, children, everything. And so it ends up being, oh, and every, every woman in the book gives advice in some way, either their best advice they received, the worst advice they received, or advice to their former self. Like if they could go back and tell them someone, much like you did at the beginning of this mm-hmm. call, like is there advice you would have given to that newly diagnosed person? And, and it's so interesting. Like some people want to be told that they're warriors, and some mm-hmm. people don't feel like they're a warrior at all, and that this just happened to them. And even, even the title of the book, Tough, that... People don't all, some, some women were saying, and I had conversations with them, I don't feel tough. And I was like, well, I know, but what happened to us was tough. Or mm-hmm. we can say to someone, tough stuff, you know, like that's just the way it is. Or, and even having the word survivor in it, there are several stage four uh, women in there. And the meta, I've learned a lot from the metastatic community, but I'm still learning how to um, work and change that language. And to some, some people like to say thriver, some don't. So I know language is important. And um, even just figuring out the title for the book had it had its had its issues but at some point I have to choose words to express, a, <laughs> to yeah. express an idea so it's been I, I just love it and I have to say I just finished the content um and it's at the formatter now and I'm so excited and it will be out uh I believe in early September it should be September 10th and there's a book launch party September 21st and it's so I'm so excited Yay. and where okay I can't wait to read it where are we gonna find this book so the book will be on, um, it'll be distributed everywhere online and in print. So basically Amazon, Barnes and Noble, and um, probably iBooks and, um, and, and IndieBound as well, you know, okay. and indie bookstores. Also, it should be in some libraries because I'm doing some distribution there. Again, book lady, I'm a book marketer. I love it. And so, <laughs> so it should be available um, by, it should be in pre-order, depending, I don't know when this will necessarily run, but it will be in pre-order early August, first week of August. I'm doing a virtual conference around the content in the book. I don't know if you know that, but there is a Share Triumph virtual conference that is going live August 5th through 15th that has not only 20 of the 37 women in the book, but an additional 20-some people who are actually podcasters like you, authors, comedians, doctors, oncologists also like you. And they are and talking about like caregiving, uh, there's there's a, ther- a couple therapists that are talking about anxiety together, and one is actually a patient. There's there's some doctors that one had hot, was a was a uh, I believe an oncologist, and she ended up having uh, Hodgkin's lymphoma, and now has a program for mm-hmm. young people who have Hodgkin's. So it's just uh, there's also people that have made clothing related to mastectomy, but anyone who's recovering after surgery that's that are speaking about how they're solving problems related to this field. And it's just, so the conference is there to bring the stories of the book to life, but also to be a free resource to people to, cause this is what I want to do. Like I, I, I love digital marketing. I have the resources to make a, this website and to, I have the time to do the interviews and I want to share these stories and share resources in one place and like bring people together. And I think it's just super exciting. So um, I can't wait. Oh, and even it's being headlined by, uh, the actress from Hamilton, Mandy Gonzalez. No way. 
Yes. And I love her. And so, and she has a fearless squad, hashtag fearless squad. And she has a whole album out called fearless and it's just fantastic. And also both. uh, So I was diagnosed with breast cancer and a day after I finished treatment, my mom had colon cancer. When my mom was in remission, thank goodness, we went to Hamilton. And to have Mandy, (laughs) like we were like, this is our gift to ourselves. And so to have Mandy um, headline my conference is like, yes, I am so (laughs) I fangirl a little bit, you know. That's so cool. How do some how does someone participate in the conference? So you can go to conference.sharetriumph.com and and then once you're signed up, there will be uh, you will receive an email and then the sessions will go live on a schedule between August 5th and 15th. And you can choose which ones you want to show up at. And if you don't have time on a particular day, you can come back to that email and and just click it later. It's not like they're, they're not going to go away. It's just a a free resource for people to, um, you know, from the comfort of their own home, kind of think through some of the stories, some of their own issues, um, listen to therapists, listen to podcasters, listen to authors, Mm -hmm. talk about writing your own story and, you know, envisioning yourself in a place that's more hopeful than where you are today, perhaps. And it's so exciting. (laughs) So everyone listening to this has to pre-order your book, number one, and then two, sign up for the conference. Yes. Yay. <laughs> and I will post all that in the show notes. So there'll be oh, great. Uh, all the links for that. That's so exciting. You ha- you did a TED Talk. Mm-hmm. Yes. Can you talk about that? Sure. So I did a TEDx at Columbia University, which is my alma mater. I went there for grad school. And okay. the TEDx talk was called The Unexpected Lifeline. And what it is, is a discussion about how, when I was uh, kind of what I said at the beginning, when I was in this place where I didn't really know where to, where to turn and what to do with this, with this, you know, unfortunate diagnosis, I mm-hmm. like falling back on and speaking with the women of air guitar, for example, they were some of the ones that gave me the courage to really reimagine the space. Like I said, so, so to create that glam chemo, I, I did have a, a lot of help from outside people that would, that would donate and suggest things to me. And I could talk about this really great project. So my unexpected lifeline was that actually, so air guitar though we did talk about it and I'm still an air guitarist. Now I actually thought it was something that I should retire from. Because as I became a mother and I embark on this serious career and, you know, I'm, I'm, it's just, it's, it's frivolous. Like why? That's, it's completely dorky, right? So I thought I had to retire my air guitar and just be, you know, regular, you know, go to work kind of mom person. But when it, when it came down to it, it was the thing that really gave me joy and brought me up out of this just sinking into depression in my chemo chair and like falling asleep and not really engaging with the world. It, it gave me a reason to talk to people. And so Mm -hmm. it was, it was really surprisingly the thing that I'm going to continue to do. Even I'm not going to feel embarrassed about it all out air guitar. (laughs) So so that's a little bit what it's about. And and it's definitely about like pursuing that one thing that works for you. Cause when we all go through any type of crisis, you know, an emotional crisis, a spiritual crisis, a medical crisis, you know, what, what do we pull back at, fall back on, you know, our, our friends and family, of course, but then what makes us feel alive again? I think that's really important because the recovery and getting back and it's not necessarily getting back to who you were and maybe getting back to a slightly different version of who you were, but that's the hard work. That's hard to do. Mm-hmm. That's a good point. Absolutely. Because I'm not the same and I can't go back. You're, you're absolutely right. So I'm going to ask you the questions that you ask in your book. Tell me the best advice, worst advice, and advice to your former self. Oh, wow. So the best advice that I received uh, was get a second opinion. Mm-hmm. Because, uh, without it, I probably would have just had a double mastectomy without thinking about it. And there still would have been cancer in my lymph node and it, I, it would have spread. 
if I hadn't gotten a second opinion, she wouldn't have found that it was already in a lymph node. And, um, and I actually ended up only having a single mastectomy. And that's actually something that people in the book, are, uh, it contradicts quite, what, quite, a, quite a lot on. So that would be my advice is always, if you feel something's off, ask, ask someone else. And mm-hmm. then the worst advice that I've received. So I, it was actually related to all the, well, so I'm not, so I was told essentially a lot of really strange foods I should eat to, and, and juicing and all these kind of mm-hmm. very out there things to, to cure it instead of chemotherapy to do. And I think that was actually the worst advice because chemotherapy is, is what saved me, not, not juicing. So that's, I think when people mean well and they're like, well, you really need this special type of mushroom or you really need to start juicing right away and cut out sugar. And I mean, I really didn't eat that much sugar anyway. And so it, it yeah. just knew they meant well, but some of that food advice really bothered me as if I wasn't already a healthy person or that I did this to myself. And um, I don't know. I, I think when you don't want to eat through chemotherapy, being told that you can't eat the thing, that, the one thing, like if you want to eat mashed potatoes, eat the mashed potatoes, you know, with all, all the butter. <laughs> so yes, yes. <laughs> so good. <laughs> so, uh, so that would be the, the worst advice is sometimes when people don't really know the full story of what's going on and they just give you kind of unsolicited non-medical advice. And then last advice to my former self. So at this point, and I don't know if it's just because of what I've chosen to do at this point, cancer has given more to me than it has taken away. If I could tell my former self that it would be okay, that would be helpful. Mm -hmm. And I don't know that that would have helped. If that would have helped me then maybe I wouldn't have done all the things that I've done, you know? So it's hard to say if I could just have told myself one thing. And it's funny because I've asked this of so many people and I, I've never actually been asked it. So thank you. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's always hard. It's always easy to ask the question. <laughs> hard, hard to answer. But I think that's so true. And, you know, especially what you said about, you know, the advice about what you should eat and not eat. And I can't tell you how many patients come to me and they've had, you know, all this advice about, stop eating sugar, don't eat meat. And I mean, some of it is maybe, you know, there's some basis to it, but during treatment, you should eat what makes you happy and what you can tolerate and what doesn't cause you to throw up. That's my big thing. Like, go, you know what, go have that pizza or that burger, whatever you want, because you just think sometimes you got to do things that make you happy. Absolutely. I'm all for that. (laughs) This has been amazing. Is there anything else that we didn't touch on or that you want to share with the listeners? Oh, I think, I think we covered everything. I just, I hope even if the, the, you know, if the book resonates with you, great, but please go to conference.sharetriumph.com. And I want to share all those great stories with you. Thank you so, so much. Where can listeners find you on social media? Sure. I would go to sharetriumph.com and there's a Share Triumph Facebook page and Instagram. That would be the easiest and best way to go. Fantastic. Thank you, Marquina, so much for talking to me. This was amazing. And I think everyone is just going to gain so much from this conversation. Well, thank you so, so much, Dr. Teplinski. It's been an honor. I really appreciate the work you do. It's just fantastic. And, and thank you so much. Thank you again for listening to my conversation with Marquina. I really hope that you do check out the book and the virtual conference because they are going to be such fantastic resources for patients caretakers, caregivers, friends, family. As always, I hope that you continue to tune back in every week. And if you are loving this show, and I really hope that you are, 
please take a moment to leave a rating and review over on Apple iTunes as that is the best way for me to gain more listeners and continue to bring you really wonderful content every week. Those five stars mean so much to me. Please take the time to do that. I would really appreciate it. You can find me on social media, on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, at Dr. Duplinsky on all three of those platforms for podcast news and updates, as well as information on cancer updates and healthy living. Have a great weekend, and I will see all of you next week.